We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me, as always, is my fellow host, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Who's that? Oh, God. So uh, today we're going to talk about Death Island. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> After that palate cleanser last week. <laughs> I would not call that a palate cleanser. <laughs> oh, all right. So first things first. I'm the realist. Synopsis. I don't think he is. <laughs> but uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, attention all listeners. Spoiler alert. If you have not seen Death Island, go watch it and then listen to this episode. Synopsis by me. <laughs> <laughs> That's who it was by, by me. That's who wrote it. You wrote the whole synopsis? No, the person's name is me. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, just kidding. But this was known in Japan, of course, as Biohazard Death Island. Which already makes me sound like I I don't want to go to a prison tour here. It was directed by Ichiro Hasumi. And written by Makoto Fukami in collaboration with Capcom. So Capcom did have a say in its matters. And it is a direct sequel to Vendetta. It went to most theaters that it was going to July 7th, 2023. Though, unfortunately, we did not get it. But it had an international digital release July 25th. It's right before my birthday. The film takes place in 2015, a year after the New York bioterrorist attack in Vendetta, and two years before Ethan Winters becomes embroiled in Resident Evil 7. Don't have much other than that. That's it, huh? Yep, 92 minutes. 92 minutes. (laughs) Well, Ariel, it's Europe. It's plot time. Yup, let's talk plot. So bear with me as always. It's always lengthy. So at the so the film opens up at the start of the Raccoon City destruction incident. And members of a private military firm are hired by Umbrella to help with the evacuation of high-ranking Umbrella executives and government officials. Unit 6 is deployed with 10 members, which consists of Carl, JJ, Dylan Blake, and seven others into the city to extract remaining officials that are still trapped within. They arrived outside the border where USS soldiers are preventing civilians from escaping and allowing officials to leave freely. 
Sometime later, the unit advances in their operation, but suffer maulings by zombies with JJ and Dylan, the only two that remain free of the T-virus infection. The pair dials headquarters to request extraction for immediate medical attention, but are told to quarantine the rest of the unit and await further orders. This shocks JJ and enrages Dylan. As the two wait, HQ orders the surviving pair to kill their infected comrades, and only then will extraction come. Dylan and JJ get into an argument about the morality of euthanizing their own comrades, which the latter justifies as a necessity. As the two argue over a gun, the infected soldiers smash through a divided window. JJ... JJ successfully gains back control of the gun and defends against the horde with Dylan crouching down, begging JJ to stop. So then it goes to the present, which in this film was 2015. In San Francisco, California, DSO agent Leon Kennedy and FOS agent Ingrid Hunnigan are tasked with rescuing and taking Dr. Antonio Taylor into custody after the lead robotics engineer sells classified information to foreign entities outside of the USA. Learning of his last location, San Fran Police Department deploys SWAT to retrieve him only to encounter firepower from an unknown group who kidnaps Taylor and transports him in a van. Leon is sent to intercept the kidnapping and retrieve the DARPA researcher. Amidst the briefing, Leon catches sight of the van and pursues down the freeway, soon being harassed by a female motorcyclist working with the kidnappers. The confrontation comes to an end when the cyclist jumps onto Leon's motorcycle and pulls its brakes, sending Leon hurtling into the road. The motorcyclist, without her helmet, is revealed to be Maria Gomez, and she jumps back to the kidnapper's truck. At San Francisco Beach, civilian William Gunner has discovered an orca carcass washed ashore. Having found a TerraSave tracking chip, he has called for assistance. Claire Redfield arrives to investigate and determines the bite range and force to be too large to be a shark, hinting at BOW involvement, to make sure she takes DNA samples and brings them back for analysis. As late, San Fran has been plagued with a series of murders linked to cannibal disease. And the BSAA are assisting the San, Fran San Francisco Police Department in their investigations. BSAA Jill Valentine has come, to, has come alone to investigate a homestead. Finding the body of a woman, she is attacked by her husband. The woman's husband, not Jill's husband. Chris Redfield breaks into the home with SWAT backup and berates her for her reckless conduct. The house is cleared and the corpse are brought back for further examination and analysis. Following this, Chris visits BSAA advisor Rebecca Chambers, who updates him about the 12 cases of mysterious infection plaguing upon the city. The corpse of an infected person is determined to contain an advanced strain of T-virus which so cannot be transmitted through airborne or saliva with every victim bitten by them, succumbed to their injuries, and died afterwards. Additionally, all of them had needle marks on their body, indicating a direct means of infection. 
Chris confides in Rebecca about Jill's persistent recklessness, to which Rebecca reasons her reckless acts are the result of her guilt manifesting and the desire for atonement of her actions in Kijuju years, six years prior. Following their conversation, Chris visits Jill in the shooting range and expresses his desire of recusing her from further participation in the operation due to his growing concerns, but Jill firmly declines the notion. Jill recounts her years under Wesker's control and wanting her friends dead. Chris tells her of peers who he had took under his wing in Jill's absence and who sacrificed himself to save him. As the war on terror continues, they are suffering from compassion fatigue and Chris is worried they will lose sight of their aims before long. Jill, however, looks only at the present mission. Innocent people are being made to kill as she once had been and once whoever was responsible taken to justice above anything else. At a secret facility beneath Alcatraz Island, Dylan and his accomplice Maria check over Dr. Taylor's recent work on developing prototype bioweapons and orders it be moved to mass production. Dylan toys with Taylor by playing Russian roulette with his revolver. Both survive, convincing Dylan they are fated for other things. In the BSA laboratory, Chris and Jill meets up with Claire and Rebecca to discuss their findings. Claire discovers that the chipped orca had been swimming around Greater Farallones National Marine Sanctuary, the same as several other whales which have disappeared recently. Similarly, the orca is infected with the same strain of T-virus found in the human corpses, confirming a link. Luckily for the BSAA, this strain of T-virus is similar enough to the others the BSAA has encountered, and existing vaccines should be adequate. Chris and the others, meanwhile, head out to Alcatraz Island, posing as tourists. As the tourists arrive on the island, Taylor escapes from his captors and goes into hiding. Dylan, meanwhile, flags Chris and Jill entering the prison, correctly determining their aims. Drones are launched, which fire needles into tourists. A YouTube influencer named Zach catches Chris shooting a zombie before turning into one himself and mauling his cameraman. Soon, more and more people become zombies, making it difficult to protect uninfected tourists. Claire brings people into a cafeteria for safety, but they quickly begin turning anyway. Chris and Jill, meanwhile, fight outside the prison cells, backed up by a single armed guard. Jill and the guard fall down into a hole, fall down a hole into a sewer where the guard turns into a zombie. Chris, meanwhile, has moved to an upper level, shooting the zombies from a higher vantage point. Dylan finally releases their new BOW project, a new species of liquor with amphibian DNA to survive underwater. As Dylan watches the CCTV cameras, he contemplates suicide once more, and a flashback. Dylan and JJ have killed their zombie attackers, though JJ has been mauled. The two fight over the gun once more as JJ seeks to prevent his euthanizing, but finally gives up when the gun discharge, discharges into a leg. Back in the prison, Chris and Claire discover their radios are being jammed and they cannot call for backup. 
They discuss leaving, but Chris relents as Jill is still around somewhere and may be in trouble. During this conversation, they find what seems to be the only uninfected survivor left on the island, Tony Davis. Jill, meanwhile, continues exploring the sewers, where she is ambushed by Leon, whose mission has led him there. The two are initially confronted by zombie tourists, but they are killed by a liquor. Leon keeps silent, hoping the blind B.O.W. will pass them entirely, but it brushes past Jill and is alerted. As the two make their escape, more liquors take notice, but they are killed by explosives. Back upstairs, Chris and Jill travel with Davis, who goads Claire over Teresave's controversial actions in the Harvardville Airport incident. As Claire is distracted, Davis walks off and is attacked by a zombie, suffering a small injury but shows no sign of infection. Advancing in the tunnel, which was used to transport ammunition during Alcatraz's day as military outpost, Leon and Jill share information on their respective missions and determining they are the same. Sensing a draft, Leon breaks open a wall exposing a secret access way. This takes them to the facility where the liquor larvae are incubating. In the prison, the red fields are pricked in the neck by drones, which incapacitate them. Davis tries to run, but is cornered by Maria. Back in the city, Rebecca discovers that Leon is also working on the case related to Alcatraz and contacts Hunnigan, who informs her that someone hacked into the Department of Defense's server and stole information about previous bioterrorism cases dating from Raccoon City, which involves Chris, Jill, Leon, and Claire. Having no contact with the team for two hours, Rebecca decides to pursue after and accompanies SWAT officers to the island with the case of newly created vaccines. Vaccine. As Leon and Jill investigate the armory, they discover blueprints for the mosquito drones, which have been infecting people. Knowing they are nearby, Dylan beckons them to the prison cells where they find their colleagues and Davis, who Leon identifies as Antonio Taylor himself. With the drones, Dylan infects Chris, Claire, and Leon. Introducing Maria, he confirms what is now clear to Leon and Chris. Dylan has taken over Arius's crime syndicate for his own ends. While Maria seeks vengeance for her father's death. Dylan seeks vengeance for Raccoon City and the War on Terror, seeing the defenders of the world as the true guilty party. Leon, the DSO's best agent who aids in government cover-ups. Chris of the BSA, a corrupt organization owned by the very pharmaceutical companies propagating the war, and Claire, whose charity Terra Save, he derides as no doing nothing and patting themselves on the back for it. Jill is allowed to escape uninfected while Dylan prepares for the release of his BOWs. Antonio, meanwhile, is shot and mortally wounded by Dylan and gives Claire information on how to penetrate Dylan's computers. Rebecca's rescue party is killed by BOW Shark Megalodon as they cross into Alcatraz. Though she succeeds in bringing the vaccines into the facility. Jill, meanwhile, heads after Dylan in the armory. After Rebecca treats the others, Leon is attacked by Maria. 
After a long showdown, Maria is pushed into a metal girder and impaled. Meanwhile, Jill confronts Dylan, who infects himself and falls backwards into the water, emerging as a giant monster after he fused himself with Megalodon. Chris, Claire, Jill, Rebecca, and Leon fight Dylan, but even with the use of a rocket launcher, they are having trouble. Leon orders Claire and Rebecca up to Dylan's computers to stop the release of the drones. Commandeering a fuel tank, Leon rams it into Dylan and tosses a grenade to make it explode. This still doesn't kill Dylan. As Claire gains access to Dylan's computers, the others rearm themselves with arms, with Jill recovering an experimental next-generation plasma rifle. Chris and Leon, meanwhile, take a jeep out to distract Dylan while the rifle charges. Although Jill is successful in firing, Dylan is not killed immediately and continues his rampage. As Leon and Chris come to her aid, Dylan instead moves off. Rebecca, meanwhile, has taken control of the drones and instead of shutting them down, ordered them to infect Dylan with massive quantities of T-virus. Dylan begins to deteriorate and severely weaken. Jill distracts Dylan to prevent him escaping the submarine pen, giving time for Leon and Chris to prepare another rocket. Carrying a bag full of explosives, she deliberately allows Dylan to grab her so she can force the bag into his mouth, swimming away just as the rocket strikes. With Maria and Dylan gone, the five meet up on the island surface where they await rescue helicopters. Chris congratulates Jill for her efforts and is happy she is back to her old self. And that is the plot of Resident Evil Death Island. And it's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <sighs> well, with the plot out of the way, I think that's time for us to go to our mid-break. <laughs> Well, hello. Here we are in the middle of the show. Ariel, we're yeah. here. We did it. What's next? Oh, boy. It's awful middle in here. <laughs> and then we thank our wonderful, awesome, amazing patrons. Like our VIP patrons. Oracle, Cerberus91, Chris Slate, Christian, Dog 47 Glenn Meeks, Jay Zoobs, Jeremy Kelly, Lord Salazar, Mystery Bemo, Naked Mango, Star Power Bitches, The Compound, The Pumpkin King, Seven Sins, and William Jackson. And then we have to thank our all-access patrons, Edward Parks, Remington Cloutier, Steve Hilder, and then we have to thank our official patrons, Quattro Hawkes, Paul Murphy, Ryan Black, and some random guy. So thank you, patrons. You're lovely and we love you. Yes, thank you, patrons. We do greatly appreciate it. And we also appreciate you listeners. Because without you, we wouldn't have a show. No show. Boo. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, with all that out of the way, uh, Daniel, what'd you bring? Huh? Huh? I left and didn't bring you anything. Well, come back and bring me something new. I guess. So, look, I just found something. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, because <laughs> I just left and came back. So, if you're really a big Resident Evil fan and happen to own a computer, 
Well, if you, even if you don't, you just own a keyboard. That's good enough. <laughs> so there is a vendor on eBay that has Resident Evil theme keycap, red and black, 108 pieces. They are, it's sold by a C7008. And it looks like they run 49.80 for the actual set of the stuff. And it looks like $10 for shipping. But it has various images on there. On this, it almost looks like the 5 from Resident Evil 5 is on there. There's also, looks like the Resident Evil logo from 7. I can't really. Let me zoom. Show Aaron. The white and orange. Oh, yeah. 7. There's also, like, the Umbrella logo is on the space bar. It says Umbrella Corporation. Let me see what else they have image-wise. There is also a larger umbrella over by the enter keys. But it looks like a very cool aesthetic if you want to have an umbrella slash Resident Evil type keyboard. Whether it's just the keyboard or actually goes with the computer you have. Just don't take your friend's keyboard and do this to it. They might not like Resident <laughs> Evil, so which would be a pain if they didn't. But, but that is sold on eBay by... SC, which is A-S-E-A 7008. So if you like Resident Evil and want a keyboard like that, then go out and have it. And if you do do that, take pictures. Hopefully, if it's your friend's keyboard, you take pictures with permission. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that is what I have for you today. Well, with all that out of the way, <laughs> Ariel, what'd you bring? A really awesome shirt that I want on Tea public that is a creep show creep show yeah i love creep show i would that sure anyways i read an article much like i always do and this comes from game rant and the title is resident evil 9 could prey on chris redfield with psychological horror so uh, chris redfield has endured his fair share of traumatic events across the resident evil series and re9 could capitalize by preying on his psyche so, the series' most recent title, Resident Evil Village, saw Chris forced to make deeply tra traumatizing decisions, which resulted in a major loss. Given his history of trauma and the events of Resident Evil Village, RE9 could prey on Chris Redfield with psychological horror. RE9 has yet to be officially announced, however, rumors and supposed leaks have been circulating on the internet since 2022. So, it's saying that Chris Redfield has fundamentally changed by Resident Evil's events. When players first met Chris, he was a member of the STARS, following his dismissal from the United States Air Force. As a member of STARS, Chris began his lifelong mission to fight bioterrorism, beginning with the secret lab and blah blah blah, continuing on... The events of later Resident Evil titles saw Chris Redfield make increasingly worse decisions. Chris's deterioration, determination to end bioterrorism saw him put many of his partners in harm's way as he developed personal grudges that blinded his decision-making. So RE9 could see Chris's horrific past catch up with him. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Definitely. <clears throat> 
So, yep, that's what I have. If you want to read the full article, which kind of goes a little bit more into it, I will post the link in the shots. Woo-woo! So, I brought you something else you can put in the studio, Ariel. Yeah, if you'll buy it for me. (laughs) So, you got a sign. You're going to have a keyboard. You're going to want something on your desk. Covered up in a blanket. Covered up in a blanket. So you're, you're ready to game. You're ready to play some Phasmophobia with me and the stream team. In October, yeah. Nah, I know. <laughs> but damn it. You're not ready because you don't have an awesome light to go on your desk. Well, let me introduce you to... The Resident Evil Neon LED Lightbox Gamer Lamp. That's right. This comes to us from Gleam Layer on Etsy. And the cost is $46.70. So this is a Resident Evil Neon Light. It has multicolor options. Uh, It has steady, blinking, strobing, or regular transitioning. And it's not the only sign that Gleam Layer sells. They also have an Umbrella Corporation sign that is an LED desk light. And that one is $37.36. There's an array of different lights from the Nintendo symbol to a Fallout logo. They've got a ton at this store, but we're bringing you the Resident Evil ones. So yeah. If you'd like that, you can check it out in the show notes. Yeah, I definitely want that Resident Evil sign. So that's it, Ariel. We're done with the middle of the show. Yup. Yep, time for us to go to the end of the episode. Nothing nothing to add? Nah. Nothing, nah. Nothing important to say here? Um, No. Okay, so we're going to go to the end of the episode now. But wait, there's more. See, I knew you were going to do that bullshit. (laughs) So roll on over to Fanroll Dice and use our promo code AlmightyC10, which is A-L-L, Mighty, the letter C and 10, and save yourself 10% off your purchase. They have dice, dice trays, dice towers, dice bags. They even have enamel pins, which were pretty cool. They have spinners little d20 spinners they got a whole bunch of cool stuff go check it out and when you inevitably have a huge cart save yourself 10% off of your purchase (laughs) and then after you're done with that you can switch on over to Nixie Gaming and save yourself 10% off your purchase of Switch accessories Switch accessories yes they got like docking stations and all those things you need for your Switch, as well as controllers, and their newest thing, the GameCube controller, which is pretty cool. Go buy it and save yourself 10% off by using our promo code LZLore. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. <laughs> Do it. Do it now. <laughs> so that's it. So that's the end of the mid break. Yep. All right, so we will go to the end of the episode. But wait, there's no more.
Well, here we are at the end of the episode. It's very Indian here. That's my line. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Uh, I like Indiana Jones. Yeah, so it's Indy. Oh my gosh. You well, should. in the temple of the shut the fuck up, Aaron. Oh God, damn. <laughs> damn, going for the throat today. All right, fine. Then give me a list of POWs, Daniel. Good thing you spelled it out. So, B.O.W.s I have, of course, are our awesome, great zombies. Though there might be some subtle differences we'll get into next episode. We also have the Amphibious Lickers. We also have, I'm still coining as Neptune, but it's more just the Infected Shark slash Megalodon. But I think it's too big to be a Megalodon. And then we have the Biodrones. And whatever type of B.O.W. you want to call Dylan. Wouldn't Dylan. Change. That's his name. Just He's just the B.O.W. Dylan. Yeah, he's just, hey, we should put Dylan in quotes. Dylan. I know, like, what would you call him? It's like an improved version of the T-Virus, so tyrant, but it's not, he's not really a tyrant. I don't know what you would call him. Half shark, half person is what I call him. <laughs> Megalo Dylan. Megalo. <laughs> Sounds like he's kind of got a bad attitude, but we won't go there on that one. Oh my god, <laughs> Megalodillon. But that's what I have on the current BOWs. <sighs> All right, Ariel. List of characters. What do we got? So, it's not really a long list, actually. So we got Leon, Chris, Jill, Claire, Rebecca, Dylan Blake, Maria Gomez, Antonio Taylor. Ingrid Hunnigan, JJ, William Gunner, and Zach, because they wanted to give Zach, you know, mention on this. <laughs> Zach, the YouTuber. Oh my God. So, yep, that is the list of characters. <laughs> wow, what a thrilling list. <laughs> Don't you forget about it. Uh, honestly, we didn't need much. We didn't need much of characters in this. We just needed... Yeah, because you had, like, all of the main... Like, all of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's right up to me with some Easter eggs and some uh, some fun facts, right? We hope they're fun. Oh, I, they're going to be. So our first Easter egg has got to deal with Jill and Leon here. So in Alcatraz, there's the big zombie fight scene at the right at the beginning. Of them getting there. And uh, Jill falls into the sewer. And uh, does some badass shit with a gun. And then ends up having to use her knife. So. This. Has never. Actually. Been. That useful in the entire series. The entire series. The knife has never been. Useful. Okay. I mean you use it a couple times. And in recent, recently, Resident Evil 4, you can parry. But the rest of the time, the knife is really not that useful. It sucks as a weapon. <laughs> and this was put in because the, the Capcom was tired of hearing people talk shit about the knife. So they purposely made a cutscene where Jill had to use the knife to kill a zombie. <laughs> Listen, she was a badass in that scene, too. <laughs> So, this is also leading into this 
is the first time that Jill and Leon actually meet in the entire series. Jill and Leon have never met before now. Yeah, and I thought it was a little different that they like instantly recognized each other. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not instantly because they engaged in their little little combat, but then it was like Leon, Jill Valentine. <laughs> you made him sound so like stuck up when Jill Valentine. <laughs> Valentine. <laughs> I think I like to play that off as Chris and Claire have probably mentioned both Leon and Jill to their fellow colleagues at least a million times. Jill would do it this way. Leon would do it this way. (laughs) Uh, So our next Easter egg is the Harvard... mm, This one's... I can always struggle with this one. The Harverdale. Nope. Harvardville. There we go. The Harvardville incident. Gosh, it's just tongue tied on that one so this incident was actually named by dr taylor in the movie what he's referencing is the back in the uh, degeneration movie when terrace was first introduced at during the bio terror attack on the harvard harvardville harvardville geez airport <laughs> So they're actually referencing the Harvardville airport incident with the bioterrorism attack and degeneration in this, which I thought was cool because this is, I think, one of the only other times they've called back to another CGI movie. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So the next Easter egg is the outfits in this movie. So Chris looks a lot like he does in six. Claire looks a lot like she does in Revelations 2. And Jill's originally looks like she was in Resident Evil 3 remake, which quickly changes to the mom outfit. Listen, (laughs) she rocks like a soccer mom outfit. She really does. (laughs) Pretty sure she could rock whatever outfit she's wearing. (laughs) So the next Easter egg is the music. You ready for this one? So if you listen real close, you can hear what sounds like notes from the Save Room song throughout the Resident Evil Death Island movie. The first time you can hear it clearly is after the bike chase involving Maria. And right after she gets away, Leon looks after her and the notes begin to slowly pop up. Like you can hear them. Okay. I'm going to have to rewatch it now and listen. <laughs> oh, darn. So the next one is the beached whale is a callback to Resident Evil Revelations. So in Revelations, you there is a scene where Jill has to scan infected life forms on a beach for the PSA. This is a callback in Death Island for when Claire has to come out and inf- investigate an infected whale. This was supposed to be a callback to the Revelations part where Jill was scanning things. Okay, yeah. So, Ingrid Hunnigan is our next Easter egg. 
So she, as a whole, is an Easter egg because we never actually see her in person in this. It's all through a computer screen, which is a callback to RE4. Yep. (laughs) So the next Easter egg is exactly what Daniel was alluding to before. Our a new little sea creature, our shark. Very well could be a Neptune. It is very much in both its activities and actions it takes against potential threats and appearance very much reminiscent of the Neptune. And we haven't had a callback to the Neptune since it first appeared in the series. So a lot of the designs are reimaginings to what the Neptune would be if it were to have evolved like all the other viruses. So they don't outright say the, the creators didn't outright say this is Neptune, but they did say that it did influence the design heavily. So it's kind of implied that this would be an evolved version of Neptune. Okay. There you go, Daniel. Yeah, Neptune. (laughs) I was excited they brought the shark in. Yeah, so was I. I just wanted more from it. It, Yeah, that was cool. I'll say more in the discussion. So the next Easter egg, plasma rifle. Pretty much that entire fight scene was just an Easter egg. Fuck yes. (laughs) Fuck yes. And I was there for it. Uh, So the plasma rifle is the biggest Easter egg that stands out in that fight scene. Obviously going straight back to Resident Evil 3 when Jill has to use it to take out Nemesis. What's funny is that this plasma rifle also has to be charged before usage. And there's climactic, you know, fights before the plasma rifle can be charged. Another callback is the weapons in which are utilized to fight Dylan during that final fight scene. We have rocket launchers as the first go-to. Yeah. We have Leon using a fuel tank, which he's used in the series before to take down enemies. Oh, yeah. And we have, of course, the iconic shotguns. Shotguns are everywhere in this all the time. Everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So that just like I said, that whole fight scene is just a giant Easter egg. (laughs) So some... uh, extra tidbits for you here some gee whiz this movie is the first time that all of the main protagonists have worked together as we clearly know it was a big thing yes. uh, Leon makes a reference to needing a vacation once the, this whole thing blows over this is a nice little nod to the last two vacations he had have been interrupted once by his superiors in Degeneration and the second one in Vendetta due to Chris. No vacation for you. <laughs> so here's a little behind the scenes. Immediately 
upon following the release of Resident Evil 3 remake, the work started on this movie starting in spring of 2020. Really? Yes. They immediately started working on this. So I don't need to go over the other bit, which we I, Ariel covered an article where Jill ages slower. We already know about all that. I did find that uh, as part of this, though. However, I do want to go over this marks Jill's first canonical appearance since Resident Evil 5. This is the first time we've seen her again canonically since Resident Evil 5. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is the first time also where three of the four survivors of the mansion incident actually came together. Chris, Jill, and Rebecca. Yeah. Should have had Wesker. <laughs> so the final one here is that when Jill is talking about when she was brainwashed, Chris actually mentions peers and talks about the events that took place in five and six. This is one of very few incidents in where we can actually place this movie in the timeline with ease. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, those are our little Easter eggs and fun facts for this movie. There's actually a lot for this one. I'm liking these callbacks. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to say too much because then we'll get to talking about discussion <laughs> and yeah. I did find an oops that they made in this movie, but I kind of always let that go when they do that because they can, they considered the, when, when Rebecca brought the cure, she called it a vaccine multiple times. And if you get technical, vaccines are only used prior to infection. So this was technically a cure that she developed. But it's whatever. I mean, how many times in a series have they called a vaccine a cure and a cure a vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there there is all of our little Easter eggs and awesome callbacks and goose. And there you go. Some behind the scenes info. Did you just say goose? I said goose. Oh, I thought you said goose. So that's it. We're done. For now. For now. Until the, the talk episode, right? Mm hmm So with that being said, thank you all for listening. Tune in next week. Bye. Bye there. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.